Welcome to the Harwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. Here's the question. Are you a good communicator or even a great communicator? And how can we know? This is essential because as a leader and coach, this area could make or break your season. In this episode, Sam and TJ share five ways you can gauge where you're at and take your communication to the next level. Let's get started. Welcome to the Hardwood Hustle. Sam and I got a really interesting topic today. We're going to attempt to help you become a better communicator and also present the why communication can help your program and help you to be a better coach. And that's what we want to do here on the Hardwood Hustle is we're always looking for ways to make uh, better coaches, better leaders, better communication is a big part of that if you're going to be leading a group. So oftentimes we get this wrong, Sam. I think a lot of times we go into it and we just think, well, if I know how or I know what, that's going to be good enough. But I've given this example more times than I can count, but we've all had a teacher that is brilliant as a math or science teacher or whatever, but they don't communicate well. And, you know, the learner doesn't get what they need out of it. And the program or the classroom or the team doesn't run as efficiently because the communication isn't good. I would venture to say most people have been in a job before where the communication wasn't good. And they didn't enjoy the experience and they thought it wasn't well run. Well, if you want to have a well run program and you want to be efficient and maximize your team's potential or, or your le- the leader group that you're leading their potential, you got to be able to communicate. Wouldn't you agree, Sam? Absolutely. And I think, TJ, you and I both have been through a study and, a, and read a book called You, I Said This, You Heard That. So I'm building off what you just mentioned ago is like, so a lot of times coaches say one thing and then a player may go home and tell a parent or a teammate and information gets back to the coach. And the thing that they said or they wanted to say that that player heard something entirely different. And so it doesn't matter how much we know as a coach. It matters a lot more what we can communicate effectively to the players we're coaching. And so I think this is a big one, TJ. I'm excited to unpack it and hopefully jar some uh, minds with coaches and get them thinking about how they can communicate better with their teams. And here's why that matters. They're going to, it's going to be more fulfilling. You won't have as many repeated conversations. You'll be able to reach your kids and inspire them and motivate them and teach them in a more effective way. Yeah. You know, I've been able to witness a lot of different coaches, even I'm just going to use the example of my own program. You know, Graham's been with me a long time. He's been a PGC director where we spent a lot of time developing better communicators. And there's a lot of times when I've watched him on the court lead our team and I've had other assistant coaches lead the team too. And they were, look, they were very knowledgeable, very sharp, very good uh, coaches but I do notice a difference in the communication from maybe a young coach um, that, that has been there. And I've seen a lot of practices where I've seen old veteran coaches who were smart as all get out. I mean, just brilliant at what they do. But it took them a long time to communicate their message. Maybe didn't communicate their message in a way that was impactful, even though the, the content was right. It just wasn't delivered well. And so I've seen the, the contrast of the two and, and the, really the feedback from players, like just their body language, how engaged they were, how well they took the information, like all of that, all of those things. Uh, I, I've seen those contrasted in a lot of different environments. So let's, let's dive into this. And we got five different things that we're going to talk about. The first thing we want to talk about is your own body language. 
you know, what your body language says to the team. And I've got a couple points on that as, I, as well as I know you do also. Uh, body language is important from, from a standpoint of you need to, your body language to max match your message and you need your body language to send a message to your team. And you and I have been a part of PGC where we've shared this a hundred times with coaches and players that, you know, 93% of all communication in the world is nonverbal. And so your body language matters. And I think as coaches, we would always say that our players' body language matters, but oftentimes we don't really pay attention to our own body language. Yeah. Well, I'd like to start with, you know, teaching your players body language. And this is an important one for coaches. We, I think it's important to set the table and set the stage with expectations on, on how you want your players to hold their body. And when you're in a huddle and they got a basketball in their hand and they're twirling it or tossing it around, or they have slumped shoulders and they're not engaged with their body, that sends a message and a vibe to the group and the huddle. And so as a coach, it is important to get your players to understand their body language in a team setting and then how that plays into life. You know, we, we talked before, me and you have a good friend who's a CEO of a multi-million dollar company and he'll hire people based on how they walk into a room or walk into an interview just on how they carry themselves in their body. Like it can be the difference in getting a job or not and, and getting the, the cell that you're working on and not. And so it's, it's bigger than basketball from a player perspective and coaches teaching it. And then the, the mistake I do see a lot, TJ, is coaches will demand a high standard with body language, yet they don't demand it of themselves. Example game is going on. They expect their players when their player airballs a shot, has a bad referee, a referee makes a bad call, a bad turnover. They don't want their players sulking or pouting for a split second. They want them to go to the next play. Yet that same coach on a bad call team, uh, a player making a mistake, they'll exert all of this poor body language. And it's often an ego play because the coach wants everybody to know how could you do this you sh you know they're not saying this but it's like you're showing me up as a coach so demanding the body language of yourself is key in setting the tone and modeling what you want for your players you know i think it can be really eye-opening if you were to watch yourself i've done this several times especially since we do pgc coaching and and we shoot so many videos i've seen myself lead practices. I've seen myself lead games. And honestly, there's a lot of times when I watch my own body language and thought that needs to be better. You know, it, it's not really portraying the message that I want. And I think there's a difference between, you know, sitting at the corner of the court with your hands on your knees and your head forward and you're just looking and you're engaged and you're talking versus standing over there at the top of the key with your arms folded. And, and you know, look, it's, some people think it's not a big thing, but I think it is a big thing. Like your intensity and your focus is 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 easy for the players to see even if that's not what you intend they do see your body language and i think your body language needs to match your message you know like you can't fold your arms across your chest and slump down and be like come on guys we need to play harder you know neither your your body language or your tone matched what you're trying to get them to do and i do think there's a, a certain level of engagement that our body language needs to model for our players to be able to model the same level of engagement and responsiveness so let's talk about that for a second, because 
I think there's – I think some coaches, TJ, like when you're in practice, let's talk about you. You're not one that's bouncing around the gym bringing crazy physical energy in terms of your movement, are you? You're not doing that, correct? No, I'm not. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, practice is a place where we get our work done and I really kind of want the mood or the tone – to be one of like, let's do the job today, you know, and I don't want us to get too high or too low. We don't want to ride that wave. And I think my body language attempts to match that. Like, you know, it's just time to work. We're engaged. We're focused. But I don't want us to be like, oh, man. And there are times when my body language changes because I want us to settle down and and, and chill out. Like, for example, when we're stretching pre-practice, you know, I might be slapping guys high fives or walking around or, you know, talking a little bit. And my body language hopefully is modeling like, hey, let's be loose. Let's have a good time. Let's talk. Let's get to know each other. But then my body language probably changes when we get to a three on three defensive drill and we need more intensity. Yeah. And that would be my point is it's being consistent. And so some coaches, they're they're moving all over the court. They they're, they're clapping. They're bringing energy. They're motivating. They're inspiring their guys almost every second of every rep of every practice. And they coach like that in games. And their players get used to it and they feed off of it. There's also coaches who are more subdued, might be arms folded to some degree, but they do a great job of setting the stage and the tone and the standard with their players and their players are very consistent in their effort level and their energy. And and there's, okay, look, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a culture that you build over the course of time. So I would say the number one thing is to put a bow on it from my end is to be aware of your own body language, know how your players respond and react to that, and know that you sometimes need to adapt and be a chameleon as a coach. You might need to adjust your own body language to draw out certain, um, energy or actions from your players. And that all starts back to aware self-awareness with yourself. Yeah. So coaches watch yourself in your body language. You know, it's, it's really difficult to demand something for your players that you're not modeling. And, you know, you're saying, Sam, always it's better, you know, caught than taught. And I think if they constantly recognize good body language, then they're more likely to have good body language themselves rather than just demand it out of them all the time, but not model it. So yeah, body language coaches pay attention to it, you know, and I'm not saying it changes your whole career, but it's those one of those one percenters that makes an impact. It makes a difference. And so you want to make sure that you're paying attention to that. The second thing kind of goes hand in hand with body language, but it's your tone and the, the, the tone in what you speak uh, is always an interesting one. Cause if you go watch 10 different practices, you're going to see a lot of different tones. You're going to see, uh, you know, laid back and kind of calm and chill. You're going to see fired up and always yelling. You're going to see. So what is the right tone? And I'm not saying that every coach has to do it the same way. And there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. But what is the right tone? And I think of a couple things when I think of the right tone. Like, I think your tone has to fit who you are. Like, you can't have a fake tone. I do think you need to be careful of some things with your tone. Like, I've played for coaches. You've played for coaches where, Every other word's a cuss word. They're yelling, they're screaming, they're going. And look, to be honest with you, at some point, it goes in one ear and out the other ear. You know, like if everything's important, maybe nothing's important, you know? And I think that tone is one of those examples where you go in there and, you know, if they're yelling like, oh, this, you got to go on, this, and and then the next thing they're doing the same thing, this is the biggest play, like, I, look, I, you should be playing hard on every play. And yes, it does matter to have great effort every single time. 
But that constant just uh, going and yelling, like I've seen a lot of players not take it serious. When I, my personal preference and tone, and again, a lot of different ways to do it, is a, a coach that's consistent in their tone. And when their tone goes down or up, I know they're trying to relay a different message than they're normally relaying. My dad was really good at that. I mean, I remember the three or four times in my high school career where his tone went way up and it got everybody's attention because his tone was consistent. And, you know, it's like, hey, we're here to work. We're here to get better. We're here to have fun. We're here to do all these things. But then every once in a while, that tone would go to another level. and We realize, you know what? We need to step back into line. And so I think varying your tone and making sure your tone matches your message is super important. Yeah, that's really good stuff. And I think along with tone is is timing, you know, the timing of your tone. So you may, there may be times coaches you are having early morning practice where you need to have a little more uptone in your delivery. You need to bring a little more energy for your team. There may be times when you're playing a game and you're down 20, you know, at halftime. And if you come in with too heightened of a tone or panic tone, uh, where your players need may need you to be even keel in how you deliver things. You know, I, I've heard Rick Patino say before reading his book is like, you know, when they were winning, he would often, you know, speak with a more urgency and more more tone. And whereas when they were down, he was he was a little more subdued and, and level headed. And so I think you said it perfect, DJ. Not, not a ton to add to what you said, other than just being aware of your tone and your timing of delivery. I would say one final thing, which I think is really important, you know, when you do come with a different tone and you're consistent, it does catch the attention. Like you're saying your dad did. And, and I, I like to utilize that as well. If, if you feel like you need to, you know, jolt or energize or grab the attention of your players just make sure it's, it's done on things that, that really matter a lot so that it's it's a memorable moment. And, you know, I, I think there's a difference between great energy and crazy. You know, like I've experienced a lot of different practices where coaches like their tone was high energy, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you don't you could be more subdued. You could be a high energy coach. You can whatever. But the the craziness is when like it's just all the time metal you know pedal to the metal go um when that's a there's a difference between that with somebody that speaks with an uptone you know we teach that at pgc as well you know there's a downtone and there's an uptone so speaking with an uptone in a positive way like sam you got this sam let's go sam let's you know like uptone verse my gosh we don't like i think there's a difference between yelling and and being upset and the uptone of like a little bit of a sense of urgency, a little bit of sense of energy, a little bit of sense. And so I do think the majority of your talking should be in more of an uptone than a downtone. Uh, but I don't think that I don't think that yelling and screaming is the same as an uptone. An uptone can also be a positive tone. It doesn't have to be a negative tone. Yeah. You know, one of the best pieces of advice I got was from Mono. <laughs> Uh, when he first heard me speak like 10 years ago at a, at a clinic we were doing in Michigan. And, you know, I can I can have a monotone voice. You know, I, I do have a monotone voice. And maybe this serves coaches that are listening. But if you imagine, TJ, on a scale of one to five, that free, the frequency or the tone and, and frequency is another thing that the, the frequency at which you speak uh, matters as well. But 
I was hovering when I was public speaking too much at a three and I needed to work on wavering between a one and a five playing in, in that, in that space of uptone and, and excitement and then slower down tone, slower speaking. And so I know we're not giving out public speaking advice uh, necessarily here, but I do think, you know, one thing you alluded to Graham earlier, one thing PGC has been so good for you and I over the years is us getting a lot of feedback and coaching on our speaking. And, and that allows us to be a more effective communicator uh, with players, I think. And we're still got a long way to go and still learning a lot. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're in the people business. So if you're in the people business, you got to be able to communicate with people, you know, and there's not too many jobs in this world where you're not. I mean, you, you might have some people that are analytics and they sit behind a computer and they crunch numbers and not, not maybe, maybe communication is not a necessity, but if you are in any way, shape or form in the people business, you, you do want to improve your communication. And that feedback part of, of it, I think is really super important because, you know, we, we tend to, I mean, have you ever, Sam, have you ever been on a call where uh, or recording where you turn it on and you listen to yourself and you think, man, I didn't think I sounded like that. I mean, I've done that where I've, I've listened to myself on a recording and think, oh, I didn't know I sounded like that or watch myself in practice and said, dang, I didn't think my body language was like that. And so we're not really, it, it, we're not our best judges. We're not our best coaches. And now that film can help us to be better coaches of ourselves. But if we don't have access to that all the time, I think other people's information is really important. Yeah, it's not easy. I, I don't like listening to myself talk or watching myself on video. I've had to grow more accustomed to it and get more comfortable with it just if I want to be a more effective communicator. But when I first started doing it, you know, I did not like it. Don't like to hear myself talk. Um, but you got to step into that discomfort if you want to grow. And, and one of the best things to do, watch yourself on video. Don Meyer used to record things, not not for the sake of what we're doing, but would even keep it um, recording and, and record notes to himself. But you could record things or record yourself during a five-minute practice. We've had coaches that we mentor do that, and they say they learn so much from just that five-minute recording they had. So coaches, definitely watch yourself, record yourself, video, audio, audible, excuse me, audio, and then get get somebody you trust to give you feedback, and you'll see some some really fast improvement in your public speaking. TJ, one thing before you go, the third thing that we're talking about is I think another important thing just to zoom out. You think about all of the world's problems. 99% of problems in the world, I would argue, are communication-based. Why do most marriages fail? Well, because there's a breakdown in communication, expectations of inability to work through conflict. Why are why do countries go to war? Uh, because they can't get along, they can't communicate, can't come to a resolution. So this is a huge one in just in life, not let alone coaching. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, I think that as we talk about all of these things in communication, I do think it takes a level of humility to improve in these things, you know. And I'll never forget when Dina Evans pulled me aside at a session and she said, you know, you're a heck of a basketball coach, but if you want to be really, really good, then you need to learn how to become a teacher, not just a coach. And a lot of that was around my communication, the way that I communicated, the efficiency of my communication, all the different things that we're talking about. And I think it's one of the most impactful things I've ever heard in my career, somebody to challenge me. And I think, you know, sometimes when you get challenged like that, 
people like, ah, oh, you know, I already do this or I already do this or that's my way. And, you know, and if you really want to get better, you've got to have some humility there and say, man, this person's told me this truth because they want me to get better, but that doesn't matter unless you actually want to get better. And so I would encourage coaches to do that. The third thing here, Sam, that we're going to talk about is setting the stage and, you know, setting the stage for what does communication look like in your program? Like, what do you demand? Do you demand eye contact? What do you consider a good listener? Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different ways, but talk to us for a second about setting the stage with communication in your program. Yeah, so I, I think a m- common mistake would be when coaches are speaking to their team, they're not getting the eyes and the ears of everyone in the room that they're speaking, whether that's a huddle, whether that's in practice, whether that's in, in games. And so s- simple things is when you like call a huddle in or are huddling, get into the eyesight of all your players. There should be no players behind you that you can't look in their eyes and know that they're engaged as, uh, as listeners. And then therefore you, they'll, they'll hear you better. And so that in a locker room, when you're, when you're talking to a group, if you want to engage the whole group, sometimes coaches get locked in on one player or one side, you know, so like a, a good, just public speaking um, mantra or thing to follow would be left, right, center. So if I'm talking to a group, TJ, I'd be, I'd be speaking over here to the left. I'd be looking back to my right. I'd be coming to the center. And that's just a little one that'll help you be a more engaging speaker. Because when you're making eye contact or your audience feels like that you're looking at them, they're going to be more engaged in what you're listening. And when you're coaching players, you want your players to be listening. If they're not listening, you're going to be repeating yourself. Then you're going to get frustrated. Then it's going to affect your ability to, to get things done at a faster rate. So I could say more, but I'll just start with that opening thought. Yeah. You know, another thing I think about when I think about setting the stage is like, I'm just going to be practical in your practice here for a second. You know, if I was to give you an example of us going out there and doing a drill, and again, this is where I, Graham's really good at this, is to be out there. Um, we learn this as PGC directors and, you know, you come out to the drill and you say, um, and we'll talk about why you do the drill in just a second. But before you go out there, hey, listen, we need two lines with two people each. We need four balls and we are going to work in a racetrack style around the court, right? You're telling the players like how we're going to do this. A lot of coaches, sometimes that'll take multiple minutes. It'll say, hey, everybody, um, let's get on the baseline. All right, now um, let's get one line over here. Let's get uh, three people. All right, you go there, one, two, and three. All right, now you three go right here. Actually, you move to that line and you switch to that line. Okay, let's get two balls. Wait, no, let's get one more ball. Let's get three balls here, okay? All right, now we're going to go and we're going to start doing this and we're going to dribble around here. We're going to go around there and then, um, okay. So, Coach, what do we do when we get to that end? Oh, well, we're going to go around the court. So you go there, And it takes a long time to, to set up the drill. But when you set the stage, if you got everybody's eye contact, everybody's ready to go, right? We have Two lines, five players each, line one on the corner, line one even with the elbow. We need two balls in each line. We're working racetrack style right here. All right, here's the drill. Now, to, like, you know, see, there's there's more efficient ways. And setting the stage a lot of time, I think about that. Like, are your drills organized and efficient? And we'll talk about efficiency also here in a second, but efficient in your, in your way to talk. But setting the stage is before you actually get into explaining everything and doing everything and all that, like, 
how do I get people aligned so that they can really hear the message? Because sometimes you're setting up a drill, you've gone for three or four minutes before you even tell them what they're doing. You might've already lost them before you get into the details of what's about to happen. That's a huge point. I mean, it's, that's so important because yeah, efficiency matters. And here's the other outcome you'll get coaches. So a lot of times in practices or if, if I'm starting to coach a new team or high school, college coach brings me in to work with their team, like there will be some growing pains early when doing what TJ just mentioned. It means like, hey, I'll blow the whistle, bring them in and say, hey, in a minute, we're going to work on, you know, our shot fake and our two foot finishes. So and then we're going to say, hey, we're going to be working at the four side baskets. We need five to six per basket and we need two lines on each wing. Now, I intentionally, TJ, didn't say, Chris, Mike, John, hey, y'all are going to be over here. Hey, TJ, uh, Sam, and uh, Joe, you're over here. I don't tell them that. We need to give players some broad instructions and then let the players lead themselves to it. And I know I know this is kind of a side road to it, but this is just a, a an intended consequence and a, a good outcome of it. But let your players lead themselves and, you know, we'll have we'll have coaches come watch our practices as you do. You have a ton of coaches come watch yours and they'll say, you know, they'll say things like, man, y'all just y'all roll from thing to thing. You say one or two words and boom, they're off and running. And, and you know, yeah, exactly. We, we we have a language. We have a common language. And once we know some some of the things we're going to do, that it makes practices so much smoother. And the last thing I'd say on that is. I don't know if you guys still do this, TJ, but, you know, PGC at RBCB practice, you know, we'll do echo calls in two claps. And, you know, some people come in and they they think it's kind of corny or, you know, they think it's funny. And that's cool. That's fine. You know, I'd rather be corny and efficient and get a lot more done and be a little corny about it than be not corny and be cool and and take 15 minutes to do something I could have done in, in 15 seconds. So, you know, the two clap and the echo calls, you know, Coach K at Duke did that for years and we, we do that a lot. So, yeah, I think those are things you would want to consider as a coach. Yeah, for sure. You know, number four, the why behind the what, and number five, efficiency. There's going to be some tie-ins here with setting the stage. All of these things kind of go hand in hand. But I, another, I think, big point there in setting the stage is, just like transitions, like wh- how you do one thing and how you do the next, like h- how you get in this drill, how you get out of this drill, even when you call the group up, like what does one miss whistle mean? What does two claps mean? You know, is there is there an expectation of um, how we're going to come in? Like, are we going to come in communicating positive information to each other? Like y- you can do it any way you want to do it. But one of the things that I, I see oftentimes that makes not only players uncomfortable, but coaches uncomfortable is just transitioning from one thing to the next. And you talked about the two claps coming from here, you know, uh, like one whistle means freeze, two whistles means everybody come over to me or come into half court. Like, yeah, some people do see those things as corny, but it, it goes back to like the efficiency of your communication, which is the efficiency of your practice, which all enhances learning for the player, which is a really good thing. And so yeah, there's, things we two things we talk about that that'll get you that'll get you beat too cool and too shy right and so you know if if you're too cool to to have efficient drills and too cool to have efficient communication that's all right but it might get beat by a team that is efficient and so you got to be willing to to bet on what you want to bet on that you think is going to help your team be great versus what you think is going to look cool I think that's important for coaches 
to, to think about when they're making those things, because they are, Sam, you alluded to it earlier. They're uncomfortable sometimes, like getting players to everybody sprint in or getting players to get toes on the lines or talking about active listening or ask, asking them to speak in a leadership voice or little things like that. Like, oh, I'm not going to ask players to do that. But look, we've seen it go a long way with players, thousands and thousands of players that we've seen it go through where it's made them a better player and I think a more coachable player. And so, you know, you got to see what's important to you and communication obviously is um, to you and I. So let's dive in a little bit, Sam, to, um, as we've already talked about, is the efficiency of that. You know, so we've talked about the efficiency of, efficiency of like going from drill to drill and setting up a drill. But there's another type of efficiency that you and I talk about a lot. And I think that's maybe like feedback efficiency. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, one of the biggest efficiency killers in a good practice is coaches, assistant coaches or head coaches, giving feedback to a player, and they they don't do it in a soundbite way. So if you're trying to run a fast-paced practice and you got a coach that blows a whistle and then takes three, four, seven minutes to deliver something, well, you're not going to be a very efficient practice. You're not going to be very fast-paced. So training – your head coach listening, training your assistants to give feedback, you know, in seven second sound bites or 10 second sound bites, you know, would be important. And know that don't give them three things to focus on, just give them one thing. And so that's, that's an important one. And head coaches, when you do want to stop practice and teach, teach in a more effective way. If you're in a practice, you talk about red, red, yellow, green practices, TJ, where like, Green practice, you're not going to stop the practice much. It's going to be fast-paced, lots of reps. Red practice, if you're in a red practice, there may be some slower teaching where you you stop and you're walking through, hey, this is how you're going to come off this ball screen. Hey, this is the coverage we want on the backside when we're seeing this type of action. Well, that might be a slow, more teaching, walk, talk day. Just know what you're in so that we can all align and be on the same page. There is just... It's, it's painful to watch coaches that what they say, it's painful to go to a church service where the pastor is really good at speaking and they turn the 30 minute sermon into a 54 minute sermon. And the last 24 minutes, he lost everybody because he could have killed it at 30. And so, again, it's, it's being efficient in how you communicate. Yeah, you know, going back to the green and red days, you know, like on a green day, we think about just go, 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 go. And I think all of our teaching is like seven second sound bites or pulling a player out of the drill to talk to them individually so it doesn't kill the flow of the practice, you know, and all that kind of stuff, because we're trying to get a lot of things done. And it could be a day of like high skill development, you know, and we go through and there's like, you know, a lot of handling the ball, a lot of sweating, a lot of playing while tired, a lot of going on there. And so we're not going to get that if I'm stopping the practice all the time. But we occasionally might need to pull a player out and they're having a real big problem with footwork. And we're not just going to let them go 50 times and do it wrong and build a bad habit. But we'd also don't want to kill the rest of the team's momentum of the drills. So just have them continue to go. But there's also days on the red days where it might be like, listen, today we're trying to accomplish three things. We're trying to make sure that we're all loading to the ball as a team and we're trying to do, you know, whatever B and C are. But when we get to loading to the ball, we might have to stop practice several times and say, listen, when the ball is here, you're actually here. And this is why you're here. 
And we might, you know, freeze frame that and work through it. Now let's start the ball here. And yeah, but we've identified that as a red day where there might be a lot of nuance teaching. Get your high foot up. Make sure you're in a stance. Let's get one hand above the ball. Let's turn our feet this way. Let's get our shoulders aligned this way. And so there's just a lot of little nuances to be able to go and teach. We still want to be efficient in those nuances, but we also recognize that this day might not be all seven second sound bites because there is so much for them to learn on that particular day. Now, we don't want to do it the same thing. We don't want to load to the ball. And on day seven, we're still talking that much. We're trying to get more efficient every day where we can talk less and they can do more. But there are times when you need to teach the whole group and the whole whole group needs to stop and watch. And it may take 45 seconds or something like that to get it in. But I think you need to know that going into practice because if you don't have boundaries, we're pretty bad at wanting to hear ourselves talk. And we don't even know it until we film one of our practices. But coaches like to talk. Coaches are long-winded by nature, no doubt. And a few years back, I had this epiphany running our BCB practices. Actually, Rick Torbett was was helping us this year um, that I'm referring to. And so I had we had in our in our practice, we had some really high level coaches that they're really wise and knowledgeable. And so we'd get to the end of practice, TJ, and um, you know we had let's call it four coaches at the time there. And in the end of practice huddle, I'd say, hey. You know, Coach Torbett, what do you, you got any thoughts for the group? And then the next coach would share their thoughts on practice and the next coach. And then they would get to me and I'd share a thought or two. Well, the reality was we just shared eight or nine really good, maybe golden nuggets for players. It was really important for them to hear. But they didn't remember the first seven by the time it got to the last person. And the intentions were good, but what I what I recognized, I said, coaches, hey, we're going to huddle up at the end of practice and we'll have a different coach kind of become the spokesperson if they're more passionate about it. But, hey, what are the two or three things that we want our players to hear right now and then just have one coach deliver it? You know, that might be a, it might be the head coach every time in the program of, of a coach listening right now, but sometimes letting your assistant step forward and have the floor and, and deliver it. But be efficient in that way, too. So that's another uh, element I think of when talking about efficiency. Yeah. And the last one we don't have to dive deep into, but I, I do think it's really important. The the higher level, you know, teachers that I've seen, I'm not even going to say coaches because I'm mean, look, there's some high level coaches that may have recruited their tail off the whatever, then maybe they just got great talent and they beat people, but we're talking to coaches. I mean, at every level that want to be the best for their team. And even a team that has a high level of talent, Look, you're only going to maximize their potential if you become a great communicator. But I think sticky language is also really important. I think things that stick with people, um, you know, greedy receiver, you know, you just call that, hey, greedy receiver, we need greedy receiver. What does that mean? Well, if we've explained it in practice, that's just shot ready. That might be foot back, hands up, you know, shoulders to the rim, you know, like that. They, they know what that means. Uh, there's a lot of terminology that we have within our program that maybe just like one word or two words that remind players and it triggers something in their mind. And rather than saying, um, you know, r- rather than going and breaking a player's shot down, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do that, you know, like we might just say something underneath it, underneath it. And, and they know that means that get the ball underneath, get your feet underneath. And we now we've done a longer explanation teaching them shooting. We might have said, hey, Act like you're going to do a squat. You know, you can lift 300 pounds that way. Yet now put the squat bar out in front of you and how much can you lift? 
45 pounds, 30 pounds, you know, like it's, you got to have the ball underneath you if you want to generate your power. So we might've done a longer piece on that, but in the, in practice, when we get into it and somebody's shooting the ball a particular way, uh, you know, you might just hear me yell out under it, under it, under it, you know, like that just means get your body right, get your feet underneath the shot, get your, like, and those types of things. And we've got probably hundreds of those that we use that they know what that means. And it triggers something rather than me having to stop and give them a sentence or a paragraph over and over again. And I think good coaches use sticky language. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, we, we could, like you said, we could go and list hundreds of them and, um, I think there's coaches are getting more creative in today's game. I've, I've heard some good stuff over the years. You don't now. I do think you can go too far with it, TJ. Like where that you, you try to overcomplicate it, but just if you are creating a sticky language um, vocabulary, think simple and think catchy. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the last one here, Sam. So, uh, talk to us about the why behind the what. Well, this is like parenting, coaching, teaching 101. And if you want players to get more bought in, the more you can share the why behind the what. And if you're like an old school approach of like, hey, you just do what I say, you know, like, you know, I remember so many times my dad telling me, you know, as a young kid, he'd be like, you know, it's like, no. And it's like, why? He said, because I said no. And maybe when you're you're um, parenting toddlers, two, three, four year olds, that approach, you know, is important. They don't have the cognitive ability to understand the why behind the what. But if you're working with, you know, kids, middle school, high school and beyond college, pro like you, you better do a good job of explaining the why behind the what. Number one, it'll make it'll make it uh, you a better communicator, but they're going to buy into it more and they're going to be more empowered to know why this matters. You know, hey, I want you to sprint to the corner and not to the low wing because that extra four feet of space gives our point guard more room to operate and draw your defender for a wide open three instead of just saying, hey, you need to get to the corner. Like if they know that. You know, and there's we could we could share a few more examples for coaches. You're gonna you're gonna get more buying, and um, you're gonna be a better teacher. You're gonna have less frustration. You know, unfortunately or fortunately, however you choose to look at this particular one, is the game has probably changed over the last 40, 30, 20 years. You know, uh, of coaching, and if you were to flash back to just give an example of like Bobby Knight, like because he said so. You know what I mean? And I know as parents, sometimes we like to, because I said so, right? And that might change or make somebody do something for a second. But even now, more than ever in in this generation, like you want them to buy into what's going on. I think even in the past, even 40, 50 years ago, I would say somebody like John Wooden, you know, 60 years, 50, 60 years ago, like he, he... he would have wanted players to get a deeper meaning for what they were doing. So it wasn't like, do this because I said so. We're going to do this because it's going to improve this. And I've said this all a hundred times, but everybody knows the story of day one practice, John Wooden teaching players how to put their socks and shoes on. And he communicated and said, hey, this is how you're going to put your socks on. This is how your shoes on. But he didn't just say that because I'm the coach and I want you to put your socks and shoes on right. Because I don't want you to get a blister that's going to cause you to be out for a game that's going to affect the team. Look, Okay, I get like there's a why behind what he's teaching there. And I think that 
uh, you know, there might be some times where coaches would be like, hey, put your shoes on like this and your socks on like that. And players are like, fine, we just got to do it because coach says so. But that why all of a sudden goes somewhere to you like, hey, I need to do this for the team. I need to do this to take care of myself to be able to help the team. Like there's a why. And look, uh, every special team has a why. You know what I mean? They play for a different reason. There's something special behind their why. And so we've got to break that down a little bit and, and zoom in into a place where it's like, well, if we want this three on two, two on one drill to be good, let's give them the why. Because we're going to see a bunch of advantage situations in the next game because they're pressing us a lot and we need to be able to convert. convert. And so let's take this and let's see when we get on two and ones and we get on three on twos, how well can we convert? We need this for Friday night's game. All right, right? That's different than, hey, let's go three on two, two on one, ready, go. You know, like, and then they just go out there and go. A little bit of why. I know that's kind of a pretty simple drill to to pull out. But if we're doing this on Wednesday and Thursday to prepare for Friday because we're going to see pressure and because we're going to be in a lot of traps and we're going to see a lot of advantage situations, it means more. And so I think you want to go from at the end of at the beginning of the year to the end of the year, you want a team that's got a special why. But I think you do that by daily building good special whys into almost everything that you do, whether that's on the court or that's off the court. You know, gratitude is one of our pillars. We're going to write a thank you letter to somebody that's impacted our life. Why? Because we want to practice gratitude. If we practice gratitude, we'll be better at gratitude. If we're good at gratitude, we're going to have a more thankful team. If we have a thankful team, we're going to have a lot more fun and we're going to enjoy each other a lot more. We're going to appreciate the the things that we do for each other. So there's there's so many whys. And I think really good coaches do a great job of uncovering and giving the why to most things that they do. Well, if you don't know your if you don't know why you do what you do, then then you need to reevaluate. If you don't know why you run that drill in practice or you run that drill because your old coach or you saw somebody at um, a clinic do it, but you don't know why, then it's time to drop it. If you don't know why you have your players tuck in their jerseys, if you don't know why you want them to have, you know, be respectful when you're traveling, like you got to know your why. And I, and then that, yeah, you got to know your why for everything that you're doing. And then coaches remind yourself of why you coach. And I know that's not necessarily what we're talking on TJ, but when you keep that at the center it remind it puts you in a grounded place so that you can be a better coach. So it goes. It's basically just knowing the big picture of everything that you're doing. That's what we're saying with the why behind the what. Uh, but it's yeah, like you said, great coaches do it, and because um, they're listening, get really clear on it, and you'll, you'll be more effective. Yeah, you know, Sam. I think we're both pretty passionate about communication because it's affected our lives in major ways. You know, I mean, both of you and I have had troubles in our marriage, trouble in parenting, trouble in coaching because of our communication. We've also seen it help us in our marriage and in our parenting and in coaching because of our communication. We've seen it go both ways. We've experienced it and we know and had enough experiences to know that, gosh, I got to I got to try and get as good as I can at this thing called communication. So coaches, there's a lot more to it and there's no one way to skin a cat, but hopefully these things will help you in your communication. So we talked about it and I'll recap it really fast. You know, your body language does matter. You want a really good tone. 
Uh, you want to be able to set the stage. You want to be an efficient coach and you want to be able to give the why behind the what and everything that you're doing within your program. So hey, I'd love to get your feedback at hardwood underscore hustle on anything you have on communication and any thoughts that you have on this episode. But coaches, we want to see you be successful and, and leaders. We want to see you be successful. Uh, parenting, we want to see you be successful. And so communication is going to be a necessity there. So, you know, improve, try and find ways to get better at audio record, video record, get feedback from other people, but be conscious of the communication that you're giving off on a regular basis. So just thanks a lot, everybody, for joining. He is Sam Allen. I am TJ Rosine, and we are The Hardwood Hustle. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. We also want to invite you to join us for one of our fall PGC coaching clinics or read and react workshops. We have six locations to choose from, and we're excited to be together with like-minded coaches again this fall. Go to pgcclinics.com for more information. That's pgcclinics.com. From the Harwood Hustle team, thanks again. We can't wait to be with you again next week.